You are listening to the Live Better Show with Brett and Jason, where we dive into life crushers changing their game, talking about wellness, and sharing a message of putting plan into action. Live Better is based on five pillars. Move better, eat better, think better, give better, and live better. We move for freedom, to do and go where and when we want. We practice good nutrition to combat an age of being overfed and undernourished. We practice mindfulness for ways to live purposefully. We give better as the basis for why we do anything at all, especially when focusing on the health of our clients and community. And at the intersection of it all, we live better. Health and wellness is the sustainable fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. Our guests share their story, their mission, and the pursuit of having the best day ever every single day. Hey! Turn up, bitch! (laughs) The Live Better Show is brought to you by Live Better Retreats. Come join us on an epic adventure where we will fuel your body, your mind, and your spirit to accomplish new goals. This time is the right time for you to join us on an epic Live Better experience. This full immersion opportunity will grant you access to the best in nutrition, wellness, movement, yoga, and an amazing community you will bring home after the trip. Right now, you can join us on a Live Better experience to have the best day ever every single day. Let's crush it, fam. Hey, guys. This is Brett and Jason with the Live Better Show. Super excited to have Bobby Maximus on the show today. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, we're really excited to uh, to dive into some of the really cool stuff that you have accomplished over your career. Um, but let's start right now with just giving an intro um, about what you're currently up to, um, and then we can we can go back from there. Yeah, well, currently I run a gym in Salt Lake City called the Maximus Gym, of course, uh, named after our brand, I guess. And uh, currently just working on promoting my new book, Maximus Body. That's been the, you know, the biggest thing that I have to do lately. Cool. And Maximus Body is in conjunction with Men's Health, right? Yes, that's correct. It was a book that was written through Men's Health. Men's Health is a publication that, I mean, I, I don't know anyone that hasn't read Men's Health that's into <laughs> working out. But, I mean, it's something that certainly I remember. <clears throat> so, it's just clear my throat. It's something that certainly I remember. have multiple copies as a teenager. Learning workouts, trying to learn about nutrition, things like that. So, it's really cool to have had the opportunity to do a book with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think that's a great place to start just with your book. Maybe talk about kind of your training philosophy and and how you arrived at making a book, working with men's health. Like we'd love love to just kind of like dig back through your past and um, bring up some cool stuff. Yeah, well, uh, I I think the easiest thing is to start from the beginning. Um, I grew up with two parents who were really, I'll say, preoccupied slash interested uh, slash it was really important to them to help other people. Um, My dad and mom were always involved with charity. They were always trying to help other people in the community. And so I grew up uh, naturally with, I guess, a desire or a want to help other people. Um, 
up until I want to say about 15 years old, I was bullied pretty heavily in school. Uh, and I, you know, I, that term today, I think it can mean many different things. I mean, just because you're called the name doesn't necessarily mean you're bullied. Um, but a lot of people go through some bad stuff and I, I don't know where my ranks on the, on the bullying score charts necessarily, but I got wedgied regularly on the bus. Uh, kids draw my face with marker. I, I was punched in the face, beat up a little bit. And when I was 15, uh, a couple of hockey bullies broke my collarbone. Um, and I never really wanted that to happen again. And so I got into wrestling to try and defend myself. Don't ask me why I chose wrestling. I think it was the only you know thing our school offered that was remotely combat-oriented. I was terrible my first year. I lost every single match. Second year, I won one match out of about 40. And then something interesting happened. I kind of found my way accidentally into the weight room. And I started to get stronger. Uh, I started to learn. I mean, back in those days, I was getting pinned under a 45-pound barbell. But uh, I, I kept trying, and I got stronger. And then it kind of launched me onto a new path. I got very good at wrestling, and I wrestled in university. I went on to become second in the world for amateur kickboxing. I'd won a couple of jiu-jitsu national titles, and, and I found my way into the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Uh, from there, uh, I guess during that time, I'd always valued education. I, I had three university degrees, a bachelor of education, uh, an English degree and a psychology degree. I worked as a teacher for a little bit. Uh, once again, I wanted to, you know, help people or, 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 you know, be in a leadership position for kids. I was a police officer and, uh, those things didn't really satisfy my need to, to help others or my desire to help others. And one thing that I always realized or, or not always realized, but I came to the realization at one point that, the biggest thing that helped me was was the physical work in the gym. If I wouldn't have found wrestling or wouldn't found a gym, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so I decided to go into training full time. And that's what the book's really based off. I mean, I, I could write a book that helps get you more fit, that helps you look better, that helps you get a six pack. But I really wanted to write something that would really help people better their lives. Uh, a lot of my articles that came out through Men's Health Online that did very, very well we're, we're based on that is using the gym as some type of tool to better your outside life. And they gave me the opportunity to write a book on it with a very good friend of mine, Michael Easter, who is a co-author of the book. Uh, couldn't have, have written this without him. I mean, it really was a true collaboration and, and we worked together and we created this manual, if you will, that talks about food. It talks about recovery and sleep. It talks about the psychology of training. There's goal setting stuff in there. Uh, there's a chapter on self-imposed limitations and then of course training. So it's kind of like a one piece book, one stop shopping that you can get it and use it as a manual to run your life. That's really awesome. That is kind of the premise of our business. Actually, Brett and I started in the corporate world. So I started doing tax consulting first and Brett started doing uh, data analytics in corporate retail before we quit and pivoted into health and wellness. And the big gap that we saw was that if you were going to see a trainer, maybe it was for a few hours a week, but there were these th this other huge chunk of your day that was unmanaged, unregulated, and still kind of off track. So you've taken a very holistic view on sleep, goal setting, stress management, what are you doing for your mind, your body, your spirit? And I think that's awesome that you've been able to work in so many different fields and recognize that within each one that health and wellness was kind of the fuel to help you help people, which at the core is kind of sounds like your, your main mission. 
Yeah, and you said something very interesting to me. Like a couple of hours in the gym a week aren't going to change you, right? Like there's, there's – I always say this, and if you're with me three hours a week training, there's 168 hours a week. What that means to me is you've got 165 extra hours to fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah, really. for real. Like if you're not – if you're not working on yourself in those off times, you're not going to get anywhere. So a big part of my training is using the training in the gym to set up those other 165 hours, if you will. What do you think was the most, uh, as you were going along, did you ever hit a pivotal point as you started to get into wrestling more, as you started to get into the gym, like where was the, where was the takeoff point? So maybe the bullying was going on. You, you started to work out. You mentioned getting pinned by the just the barbell at first, because um, I was always such a super small kid. Freshman year of high school, I was like five three, one oh five, like you know, picked up any dumbbell off the rack and fell over. And then I had a very similar experience. I took like just got backed into taking a weightlifting class because I played soccer. There was there was no serious need for me to get a lot bigger, and certainly no one encouraging me to do so. Um, and I, I felt at one point. I think it was maybe the first time I, like, classic guy, bench pressed 135 pounds. I was like, oh, I can get one plate, one big plate on each side. That was like my, wow, this is cool. I'm actually getting stronger for my size and feeling like I'm making progress. Where was that sort of, like, jump-off point for you where you knew you were making some momentum and that, like, your life started to make a positive change? You know, I, I, I don't know where the jump-off point was, actually. There was a pivotal turning point I'll talk about. But after I got my collarbone broken and I decided to commit to wrestling, I just didn't quit. And, and at the time, I can't even remember what my mindset was. It wasn't motivated by fear. It wasn't motivated by necessarily a chip on my shoulder or anything like that. I'm just a stubborn person. And when I start something, I don't quit. And at some point I fell in love with wrestling and I really enjoyed the challenge and I just kept working on it. And before I knew it, I was really good, but there wasn't a pivotal moment that I should, shouldn't say before I do it. I mean, it took two years, but once I started to get good, I kind of was caught up in a bit of a whirlwind. Like, Oh, all of a sudden I'm good at this. I'm going to keep doing it. And then I just kept succeeding and succeeding and succeeding. And the pivotal moment for me, was actually quite different than a moment where I knew this is what I wanted to do. It was actually quite a quite a negative moment in my life, but it taught me uh, about really who I wanted to be and what I needed to work on as a person. I was in UFC 53. It was Canada versus USA. I was in the back of the Mandalay Bay uh, Casino and Resort. Um, I was fighting. There's 20,000 people in the audience. It's my first fight in the UFC, and I couldn't help but think negative things about myself. I'm not good enough to be here. I'm going to lose. I got lucky to be here. Uh, this is going to be embarrassing for my family. I'm from a small town of 1,800 people. There's 20,000 people in the audience. I'm, I'm scared to death. This guy's got <laughs> way more experience. And I mean, I, I, I don't have to tell you guys, what do you think happened that fight with those negative thoughts? It, it wasn't good, right? So I got destroyed. And after that, I realized that I needed help and it wasn't just physical because I was good at what I did. I was very skilled and I was extremely fit. I mean, one of the more fit competitors in the UFC and that was my pivotal moment that changed everything where I realized that what was going on in my brain was way more important than what was happening with my body. I think that is a very interesting point. The fact that the body and the mind work hand in hand. And a lot of people 
just see, for example, a UFC fighter, and all they think is the physical. Um, they see an athlete, all they think is the physical. Um, and then you start to dive deeper into the best of the best and the people that are consistently winning and those that are considered great. And you realize, of course, the physical component is a huge piece of that. But those that are committed and those that end up doing the most are the ones that have the mental fortitude. I was just listening to a uh, just like an interesting um, podcast just about professional athletes and how the really great ones aren't the ones that think of their um, athletic ability and their performance as a job, but are truly passionate about the sport. Um, and it's because they're the ones that are willing to put that effort in. Do you have any specific, um, I guess, since, since that first fight um, that you lost, were there any specific practices that you've done mentally to either prepare yourself for a fight or to come back from a defeat like that? Well, actually, funny enough, right after that fight, I started doing some digging. I had a couple of friends, one named Rich Franklin, one named George St. Pierre, uh, another one named Tom Murphy, who they're all you know MMA fighters, and they recommended me to a sports psychologist named Brian Kane. And, you know, it was kind of hard for me to go to a shrink, so to speak. Like, I, it's like, I don't need a psychologist. What's wrong with me, right? But I was desperate, and I wanted to get better, so I started working with him. And he had me do two exercises in particular that I talk about in the book. One was this, I'll call it green light therapy, if you will. And the theory is that everyone's got green light thoughts and red light thoughts. Green light thoughts are... I'm the best in the world. I train harder than anybody. I put a lot of work into this positive self-talk. The red light thoughts are those thoughts I had in the Mandalay Bay, negative self-talk. Those are the things that shut you down. And let's face it, in any area of life, we have green thoughts and red thoughts. The goal is to make the green thoughts overwhelm the red thoughts. So what I would do is I take these green stickers uh, and I'd stick them all over on the back of my phone, on my steering wheel, on my TV. And every time I would see them during the day, I would have to think a positive thought related to my goal. So I'm second in the world for kickboxing. I'm a jiu-jitsu national champion. I was, you know, really good at wrestling. Uh, I work out harder than anybody to try and build some self-confidence and overcome that self-imposed limitations. And the other thing I did, which is actually a similar mechanism, is every morning I'd wake up and I'd write down five reasons I was going to be successful. The trick with both of these is they both have to be uh, truthful. So I can't sit there and say I'm literally the strongest man in the world when that's not true. I've got to make a truthful statement that means I'm going to accomplish my goal. So say for you guys, you know, if you're talking about your podcast, uh, you, you, you probably couldn't say it was the number one download podcast of all time. That would be <laughs> not a true green light thought. But you guys could say, you know, we work harder than anybody to produce our podcast. Good. You, you, you write that down, you put it in the bank, and, and eventually you start to believe that stuff. Well, my next fight that I had, which was Ultimate Fight Night 5, which was June 28th, I think, in 2006, I went out, I fought a guy that had a way better record than me, and I destroyed him because I was filled with self-confidence that I'd done all these exercises. So what did I do? I got rid of my sports psychologist. I didn't need him anymore. I was cured, and I moved on. Well, my next fight after that, I wasn't practicing those things and all those negative thoughts came back and I lost that fight terribly again. And that taught me, that was a second pivotal moment in my life when I realized that a lot of my self-doubt 
my negative self-talk, I was probably stuck with for the rest of my life. And I had to be very cognizant in how I managed it because it wasn't just going to go away. Do you find that that self-talk changes or did you find that that self-talk changed mid-fight? Like going into the fight, you might have some reservations, but (laughs) you haven't gotten hit yet. You haven't gone down yet. Um, you haven't felt like you were behind in the fight yet. Does that, did that ever change for you before the fight as compared to during the fight? No, you know, during the fight, actually for me, the only thing I was thinking about was fighting during the fight. I was fine. It was before the fight that really, really affected me in a negative way and not just the five minutes before the 10 minutes before the three month lead up to the fight was terrible for me. Because way, uh, I, I was way too worried about what other people were going to say, what other people were going to think, the negative consequences of the fight, and that's what really, really affected my performance on the night. Which is so interesting to think about, too, because I think I've been reading a ton on sports psychology recently, from golf to MMA to um, golf, actually, the most, because it's just so, it, the, the pressure is in such a, like, isolated container it's just you it's one swing at a time there's a billion thoughts running through your head i'm not sure if you're a golfer but (laughs) you you can just watch like how palpable every shot gets especially when it goes down the line and it's so interesting how easy it is to lose a full round before it even starts and i think people do that we i mean brett and i talk about routine building and talking about building sustainable habits, people fail during a day because they go into it already thinking that they're going to. They're like, oh, this is going to be a long day. Uh, I have so much to do at work. Rather than saying, here's my to-do list. I'm knocking this out in the morning. I've already got my lunch pre-packed. I got my workout scheduled. I'm seeing my trainer. At this time, I'm planning to take a walk at this time. It's like you lose due to that negative self-thought before you even get there, even if you perform well after it starts, which I think is so interesting to think about before and during. It's like, if you plan to fail, you will. Well, no, for sure. And here's the thing. Like, you may not even think about it during the actual event because things are happening so fast, but subconsciously those things are are weighing you down like a like a mental brick almost i mean imagine how heavy it would be to carry around a a a brick all day it's not heavy for two minutes but all day it really starts to weigh you down so that's what you're going into that fight or that that game or that golf tournament with and it really holds you back yeah, that, that is, it's just so interesting how that translates to the highest level of ultimate fighting down to anybody's day, any day of the week. And it's just having that mindset, having those, I loved those, um, those strategies that you implemented for yourself. When you work with um, a client, for example, and we've, we, I know you've trained some professional athletes, some movie stars, um, all the way down to, you know, any, any other person, what are some strategies that you try to implement with a client, um, that might be going through a little bit of a struggle with their own self-confidence? Well, those, those two strategies I mentioned, cause they're not just for professional athletes. Yeah. I mean, I think the real usefulness with those strategies is not just to be better at sport, but to be better at life because everyone's got insecurities, whether it's about being a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a, a lawyer, a doctor, a, 
I mean, I'm sure about this podcast, you guys have your insecurities at times. Yeah. And so the, the green lights and the writing stuff down, I mean, they're, they're universal. And I've had tons of people, because I talk about it in the book, tell me that that's the biggest thing they got from the book, which is actually quite incredible for an exercise book. The, the, the most useful thing in there is the sports psychology. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, it's funny because people will, oh, you, you know, can, can my dad do the workouts? He's 70 years old. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. He'll get a ton out of the psychology section of the book. Yeah, uh, that's super interesting that sometimes with the intention of it being the workout book, just because you have the knowledge and the skill to write about that, people latch on to just that. Speaking of the book um, and the workouts, what is kind of the philosophy behind the physical aspect of the book and of your training style? Well, I could I could say this, and it's a phrase I remember from university. There was a there was a kid on my wrestling team named Amru, and he made it into Ivy Business School, which is one of the better business schools in North America. And a phrase he took from business school was that the first principle of economics is there's no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. And basically what that means is there's, there's, there's nothing free in life. Nothing's coming easy. And if it is free, there's some catch behind it. And so I've adapted that to exercise in the way that, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You're not just going to get fit in four minutes or five minutes or six minutes. It doesn't work like that. I actually talk about this when I'm podcasting and it's funny uh, because I look at your podcast and people say to me all the time, you should start a podcast. And I'm like, it's not that easy. It takes a lot of time. People think it's like a half hour or 45 minutes of talking. But huh. when you start adding up the prep work, the research that, that goes into uh, researching your guests, I mean, even finding your guests, building a schedule, editing. I mean, some of these things can take 10 to 15 hours a week. It's not just me hopping on a microphone and talking and, and then and then putting it out to the world. And, but people think that yeah. in, in, in a way, and they think that about exercise, and that's just not true. To get fit, there is no such thing as a free lunch. It's going to take a lot of hard-ass work. And if you're not willing to work hard, then don't be fit because it's not going to happen for you. And any person that I've ever met who has had a goal that didn't achieve it, it's simply because they didn't work hard enough. There's no other excuse. You just weren't willing to put in the time or the effort. So the book is based on what I'll call real fitness. I don't want to lie to anybody. I'll tell you this shit's going to be hard. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take six months. But if you do it right, you'll get there. And if you don't do it right, you won't get there. End of story. And that's the premise on the book. Just no bullshit, no gimmicks, no magic pills or three easy payments at nine ninety nine. It is what it is. <laughs> work hard and earn it or don't yeah, that I love hearing that. Like that's music to my ears because one thing that Jason and I preach is the same thing. And and whether it's a podcast or your fitness or your relationship, it's a consistency play. Um, that's what's going to change results, or that's what's going to cause results. That's what's going to change your body. That's what's going to change your mind. Just like with the um, the activities you mentioned earlier for your mindset, if you do that once a well, month. It's, it's okay, like you're going to feel good for that day, but once you start making it a daily practice, we had another guest on the show that is Sean White's snowboarding coach, and he had a very similar morning routine where he goes on what's called a positive appreciation rampage, <laughs> and every, I loved the term rampage, every single morning he wakes up and he's just like, just starts going nuts about 
what he's excited about, what he's happy about, who he's happy to have in his life, and just just creates this positive mindset within the first five minutes of his day. And he was saying that before he sends Sean White down the hill to win Olympic gold, he goes on a positive appreciation rampage saying, you're the greatest in the world. You can do all this. Like, you are the best ever. Like, things like that where it's just filling somebody with that. But the, the main thing about that is not just doing it once. It's the consistency. It's the dedication to that. And I think what you're what you're preaching is is that in a nutshell, and that's super special. Well, that's what I learned from my sports psychologist and my experience in winning, losing a fight, winning a fight, losing a fight. But also, like with with training, I, I almost just want to write a book called "Show Up." Yeah. <laughs> just literally, show up. Literally, just write in it. Here's how you get fit, and then just write show up over and over and over. Again. <laughs> yeah, because like once a page. Really, it's not that hard. People make it more complicated than it needs to be. But I don't know. Show up at the gym, swipe your membership card, and do an hour of stuff, and go home. And if you do that every day, you're gonna get fit. It's not that hard. Yeah. The the my wrestling coach uh, at Western University, Ray Takahashi, used to say something similar that the hardest part was putting your shoes on. Yep. And we used to laugh at him because we went through two to three hour nightmarish practices. Like, listen, guys, I think I'm one of the fittest people in the world, but I don't know if I could go back in time and, and wrestle again. Those were hard practices. So when this guy would say the hardest part's putting your shoes on, your gut reaction is like, listen, asshole, if it's not the hardest part, like you're killing us here. But he wasn't wrong. In time, I realized, like, as long as you showed up, you were good. Yep, that's the thing. Yeah, like, it's you, fun. You put in one you know? grueling day, and that's great, but the only two things you need to worry about for tomorrow are put your shoes on and show up. Yeah, that's it. And if you do that, you, you got really good. You got and, really good. And I've realized that in time, that's like the battle. And all the people that aren't fit, they just don't show up. That's the thing. Like, I had a day yesterday, you guys, I felt like shit. I... Uh, I, I'm coming off a really terrible illness. I, I was really sick for an extended period of time, and I'm still dealing with some of the after effects of it. So I've been up like seven, eight times a night. And, and last yesterday, I was just a mess. I, I couldn't see straight. I didn't want to train. But what did I do? I showed up. And I yeah. feel better for it today because yeah. I slept better last night, and, and I popped the box. And it wasn't the best day I've ever had. It wasn't, but it's another day in the bank and and if you miss like think about the days you could miss what if you miss just one day a week like that for a year that's 52 days 52 days is a long time in the workout world like i've seen people make shocking transformations in 52 days so all, all, all you got to do is like I went, I went i went to the gym i didn't even know if i would train that day but i showed up and then when i got there i'm like you know what i'm here i might as well train and, and, and away i go and then and then i check the box and i move on yeah, I mean that you, we should we should co-author a book. It's three hundred sixty-five three hundred sixty-five pages long, and every day you flip it and just says show up, <laughs> show up. And, and I and think listen, I think what's you super, know, I, go ahead. I sorry, I know a guy at a seminar. Uh, I taught a seminar, and, and I asked him how he got fit, and, and he said he just showed up at the gym. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I just made sure I was in the gym every day between four and five p.m. Days I didn't want to go, I still showed up at the gym, and I would sit there. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You'd sit there. He goes, I'd just sit on a bench and watch people work out. And he said, eventually what would start happening is he'd realize, well, I was here anyway. I might as well do something. And he just yeah. started 
exercising every day. And then next thing you know, he's down 50 pounds. His deadlift's up 200 pounds. He's way down in body fat. He can, he can bench press his body weight for 10 reps. And you're like, wow, you're a really fit person by, again, showing up. Yeah, um, to, to that point, and, and I share this with you, uh, about a year ago, I shattered my collarbone. And um, in, a, in a serious uh, like downhill biking accident, and I mean, I'm a fitness guy. I, I love to push the boundaries of fitness. And at that point, I was just like turning the edge on a lot of my fitness, my handstand work I was really working on. So running a lot. Like I felt I was at the top of my game. Um, and after breaking the collarbone, completely shattering it, six screws and a plate in there, I had surgery and went to physical therapy literally 12 hours later. Like my therapist was like, you're the fastest person to ever come into a therapy session. I was like, just do something. Just like, if you can just get me out of the sling for five minutes, or if I can, you could just raise my hand enough. Like, and I went in and for every single day I put in as much work as I was allowed to do, obviously not like overdoing my injury, but whatever I could do, if it was squeezing my hand against a wall for five minutes a day, you were damn sure I was doing that. And my therapist now to this day was like, you were the fastest person to ever come back. And not only that, but you came back stronger than what you were before. And that was something for me, which was eye opening because I've had a couple other serious injuries before, but not this, you know, at this part of my life where training and working out is a choice. It's not like I'm in high school showing up for basketball practice every day. This is something I can choose to do every day or not. And so for me, that consistency thing after fielding a devastating injury put all of this stuff into perspective for me because I always worked out every day just because I loved it. Like it was, it was something I loved to do and I was working on different sorts of gains and, and different you know, different things like that because it was like a personal thing. But now to just be able to be humbled by an injury and come back and now a year later, like literally don't even notice that I have a steel plate in my shoulder and I'm stronger than I ever was. And it was just because I would show up, I would lay on a foam roller every day. I would swing my arm in a circle every day for a month and it was not sexy. It was not fun, but it was the work that was needed to be done in order to obtain my goal. And I think that is just everything. Yeah. Not complicated. You show up. There's a guy had a similar thing, uh, at a seminar. His name's Juan and he, uh, busted his shoulder really, really bad in a motorcycle accident. There was other things too. He went through, but they basically told me never lift weights again. And he really let himself go. He kind of fell into a depression. He put on a ton of weight. If you want to read about it, he's in the transformation section on my website. But, um, he had a really rough time and he came to one of my seminars and he's like, you know, what can I do? Like if I can't do upper body. And I just said, every day is motherfucking leg day. <laughs> he's like, yep. What do you mean? I'm like, work your legs. I don't like working legs. Well, you do now. <laughs> like, sorry. Yep. And, and he got into the gym and every day it was like quads on Monday, hamstrings on Tuesday, quads on Wednesday, hamstrings on Thursday. I'm so sorry. I can't walk on Friday. I guess I'll just try my best to walk up and down stairs and then Saturday I'll go back to quads. And it was just started to get fit. And then he started to lift with his upper body and then that got more fit. And then went through a similar thing you did with the, uh, with, 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 with the collarbone, but like rehab type stuff. Yeah. Next thing you know, oh, he's more fit than he's ever been in his life. Yeah. Again, not yeah. complicated, but I tell people all the time, you blow your knee, work your upper body. Nothing drives me more crazy than when a person gets an injury, like in their ankle, and they're done with the gym. Oh, I was, like, 
I don't need you don't need your ankle to do push-ups. It's absolute like, insanity. I right after Brett started to heal up, I actually tore my hamstring. This is Jason. I tore my hamstring off the bone in January um, in a bad surfing accident, which really sucked. And two days after surgery, with a, my knee locked at ninety degrees on crutches, I was just banging pull-ups in the gym. And I like started to come yeah. back, started to walk, started to do things, and people were like, "Oh." You're so lucky you're in shape. You'll bounce back right away. God, I hate it. <laughs> and I was like, I'll stuck you in the mouth because <laughs> there's nothing lucky about it. And all of the time that you see now, it didn't just like bounce back like I just like accidentally stretched out a shirt and I then threw it in the dryer. I grinded day after day, like suffered through it and came back and got stronger because I put in the work, not no no pre-existing condition was like putting me back to where I was right away. Yep, exactly. And the luck thing drives me crazy too because again, no one just gets lucky with working out. Like like <laughs> no, I didn't get lucky. I just showed up. Like I just I've just been willing to put in hours when you weren't. Yeah. I love your I mean the slogan of, of a couple things that you put just every damn day. And I think that's what we're getting, you know, we're getting to with this. It's just, it's continuous. It's a continuous effort. And I, and I just love how simple that is. And, and that's really awesome. I think one thing that you do consistently, which is cool, um, based off of your website is, you know, you write a lot. So you have a, like a couple different training rooms, your, your daily workouts, um, and some blog stuff. So can you just go into, you know, how you do that and why you put out that type of work? Like, are you talking about in terms of the content I put out? Yeah, just on your website. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is I want to help people. And I've realized, like, there's a couple things here. First of all, I've got to make money. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I, I need people to buy my book. I, I need people to buy my shoe, buy my T-shirts, because it allows me to, to live. I mean, I've got to look after my wife and kids and, and, and the mortgage. But I also don't want their... T- barriers for people to learn so i also give a shit ton of stuff away for free um i don't know if that's the greatest business model to be honest with you because you you give a lot away and and you know it's kind of weird sometimes like i just expect people to do the right thing like you've downloaded 15 of my training programs buy a t-shirt buy a book you know um and and some people don't but there's a lot of people that get helped by free stuff because I don't know when I was in university, I couldn't have afforded a good workout plan. I don't think I could have afforded a good diet plan. I mean, I was living off craft dinner and hot dogs because I, well, what you guys call, I think it's craft macaroni and cheese down here, but it, basically craft dinner, Katie and, and hot dogs because it's all I could afford. I couldn't afford this stuff. So, you know, I look back on my life and imagine if I had a, a website where I could go and get a bunch of reputable information that could have really helped me. And I think for a lot of people, cost is a barrier in getting fit. Like gym memberships cost money, knowledge costs money, and so I, I want to build the biggest free platform, really that there is of good knowledge for people where you can go, and if you want to put some work in, there's no barriers. Which I think is awesome, and like just to not that you necessarily need it, but just to just to give you some reassurance, I think that's awesome that you put out stuff for free because um, the downstream effect of giving away value. Some kid's life might get changed from picking up one of your downloadable workouts or watching one of your videos or just peeking at your Instagram, which you don't charge for, 
and that might set them off on the same path for you. So your mission of just wanting to help people and using health and wellness as the vehicle to do that um, is very clearly doing that. And I'm sure that you're seeing that the money comes from book sales and t-shirt sales because of people's trust and loyalty for the information that you're putting out. And then just on a deeper level, like you're helping thousands of people start a journey, which is so necessary. So well, um, I think that's yeah, awesome and, that you're and, doing both. No, I, and I really appreciate you saying that. It is, it is necessary, but it's always the hard part too, trying to balance the business, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's that, there's that, I, I can't just give stuff away free all day, every day and work for free. And so it's that, it's that balance of like, well, what do I charge for? What do I not? Um, how do I fund this thing? And it, it's all a, an experience, if you will, in in growth. I mean, I would love it if someone just gave me, I don't know, well, if the book sold a million copies and I just got a ginormous check and I just could do stuff all day for free. That would be my dream. Yeah. But we've got to work towards that. How is it um, having a gym and running that aspect of the business? Oh, well, to be truthful with you guys, we have a very limited membership at our gym. Um, just opened it in January and all energy has gone elsewhere right now. Not because we didn't want to put a lot of energy in the gym, but I felt really, really ill. Uh, we got a young baby at home, um, trying to build a business, uh, promote the book. It's just been honestly last on the priority list. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. we're starting to put some effort into it now though. And so it is taking more time, but it's honestly something we really, really love doing. And we're really lucky to have a gentleman there named Will Pace, who, um, if, if, if I was going to call anyone my right-hand guy, it would be him. But I, I feel bad calling him that because he's more of a partner than, than anything. But uh, he, he is a Taekwondo instructor. He trains my kid. Um, you know, he's, he's trained me. Uh, we work together. And, and he's been instrumental in handling classes at the gym and stuff. And right now, we only have a couple of classes a day. And, and now we're starting to put some effort into grow. But so far, I can't really answer the question like, What's it like to have a full-fledged gym? Because we certainly don't have that experience right now. If, if anything, it's more of like a safe place for a group of very committed, hardworking people to come together and, and get some work done. Yeah, it's nice to have that and just to have a physical location for when you will need it, too. It's just cool to start to build that. And, um, and yeah, I think you made an interesting point right there of just – prioritization if the book is what you're working on now and that is where you're trying to get stuff going i think one interesting thing about uh, about talking with you too is just you're very driven on what you want to accomplish and i think as a business person outside of fighting outside of working out showing up to work every day sometimes uh, when you run your own thing is is extremely hard because there's so many other distractions you have kids um, you have to work out on your own. You have to do all these other things. So it's it's cool to hear um, and just be real about you know where priorities are with what you're doing. So that's that's awesome. Well, and we've talked about it. We really only want 50 members there, period, ever. Like to have a capped membership. Yeah, I love that. And part part of the reason is is number one, we can control the environment. There'll be 
only good people allowed in there. And that's kind of the standard to get in right now. Like you've got to be a good person. I don't give a shit if you're a professional athlete or you're a hundred pounds overweight or you're a mom just trying to get more fit to play with our kids. You're welcome if you're going to work hard, but we want a really good environment in there. And, and I'd like to cap it at 50 at some point where the gym's never a huge money maker, but it's run the way we want to run it. Because the minute you try to do it for finance, it starts to become something different. Now you're, you're, you're allowing someone into the gym and paying a membership because you need to keep the lights on. If that makes sense. I want people there. Like, like ideally to tell you the truth, I'd love to make enough of the book where I didn't have to charge a membership fee and I could sponsor people. And then we could really choose who could be in there and who couldn't. Yeah. It's a, it's, and Jason and I do the same thing with the clients. We train, we train personal clients as well. And we are a quality over quantity game. Um, and I think that, that just, it pays off in the long run, just being around good people, especially in a gym setting where you're going to get people that will show up every day. You'd way rather have that to build a tight knit community. Yep. So we exactly. always we, we always try to wrap up the show with a, a question about kind of what our motto is and, and what Live Better stands for. And one of our things is, and we've touched on this a lot, about consistency. Um, what we try to do, our little montage, our little um, you know motto of every day is to have the best day ever every single day. And that's through thought, mindset, and then finally action, putting all of that in, into action. So if you could wake up tomorrow and have the best day ever for you, what would that look like? Oh, my best day ever? Uh, honestly, it's actually probably the most boring thing in the world. I would wake up, I'd have breakfast with my wife and my two kids. Uh, I would come home, I would work out, and then I would spend the afternoon either watching old school movies like Ghostbusters 2, that's what we did last Sunday, or play some video games, maybe go to In-N-Out Burger or Shake Shack for dinner, and then... Uh, you know, watch TV with my wife on the on the couch when the kids go to bed. Very lame, but very um, and very boring. But it's 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 what I really love to do. I, I think I, I give so much of myself to others and work so hard during the day that I, I really, really love just having the day to just chill. And I know it may not sound chill, like saying, "Yeah, I, I would." If you notice, I put working out as part of that part of that day. But I actually love training, guys. Like, that's my stress relief. That's my happy place. You take that away from me, I am a grumpy character <laughs> because that's where I can just really be me. And so it's, it's, it, that's a nice relaxing kind of deal for me too. Which I love that your main focus on a day spent on you is a day spent on you. I think a lot of people that work in any type of like care industry, whether you're a doctor, a coach, a teacher, a trainer, a psychologist, a nurse, whatever it might be, when the focus of your day is always on other people, we forget to prioritize self-care, even if health is the basis of what you're doing to help other people. It's still time spent not on yourself, not on your body, not on your mind, um, not on your relationships, and to take a step back from that ends up being so, so important so that you don't burn out and not become unable to give 100% of yourself away as a coach then on the back end of that. And Well, you, you, you if I can interrupt you, you've got to yeah. take care of yourself, take care of others. We forget that. Yep. That, I mean, that, know, like, that is everything. We, Brett and I talk about that a lot 
when we are coaching a client, especially one having a difficult time mentally, it's just like think about trying to take a step back away from how do I fix this, how do I fix that. It starts by just fixing you first because with an empty tank you suffer from decision fatigue, body fatigue, you suffer from a lack of good prioritization and your habits fall apart and you reach for what's easy and convenient rather than for what you know is right that's building you up for for a sustainable long-term change and I think people let that get in the way um, and then that lack of prioritization is like this the wheels fall off well I'll tell you guys a funny story but my wife um, she's go 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 like if she's got a day off she's emptying the dishwasher bleaching the counter vacuuming like wants to do stuff in the backyard just can't sit still and uh, she just recently got into powerlifting and she's actually gotten quite good uh, at a body weight of 130, she deadlifted 363, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> That's um, a lot of weight. You know, for for a, for a few, you know, she'd been doing this stuff for like three months. Um, at her, her last meet, she bench pressed 180, squatted 280. Like, she's getting strong. Um, but she kind of found she was like maybe plateauing a little bit and tired. So I told her like this, this last Sunday, I said, you're doing what I'm doing. You're just going to do nothing all day. Like, I want some good... I think I think out of the seven deadly sins, the right term would be slothfulness. But like you're going to be a sloth, like you're doing nothing. So, um, you know, she spent most of the day doing zero, and she was actually shocked how good she felt on Monday. Like after taking a Sunday and just doing nothing and checking out, like laying in the sun, eating some In and Out burger, drinking some water, having a nap, relaxing. She was like, I felt so incredibly strong and recharged on. Monday. And I'm like, yeah, you got to do that every week. You need to take one day. And, and I would recommend this to listeners, take one day to yourself, no work to do what you want to do. And it's okay to be lazy. You're actually not being lazy. You're recharging your batteries. That's where people get it wrong. Like they feel guilty for doing nothing all day. I have to force myself to do nothing to be able to perform at a high level during the week. Yeah. It's a strategic day of 100% self-care to recharge, to go back at it 100%. People won't do that, and then they think they're giving 100, but they're really only giving 85, and then a month later that 85 turns to 75, and then to 65, and they don't realize it because it's like a slow downward spiral, and then eventually you just crash and burn. Um, so that I love that kind of like day of, of self-love, and I think self-love is the least selfish thing you can actually do because you'll give more back. Well, absolutely, and I, I use the cell phone analogy. Like what happens when you're trying to charge your cell phone but you're on Instagram and using the Maps function and on email? It takes forever to charge if it ever does charge. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just turn that thing off and unplug, and the same thing with your body. Yeah. And like I said, we're, we're guilted into feeling selfish because we're doing something for ourselves, but it's not that way at all. And, and I, I kind of really, really, I'm glad you said the self-love thing. I preach self-love all the time. Like if you look good, take a selfie, if you're happy, <laughs> tell, tell people about it. Like if you want to do nothing all day, do nothing all day. If you want to treat yourself to dinner, go to dinner. Like there's nothing wrong with loving yourself and taking care of yourself. I think it's our, I think it's our birthright, but somewhere along the line, we're, we're chastised for that. Like there's, there's a, there's a people, um, I always say they want to like 
like uh, what, what's the word I use in my Sunday sermons that, that, you know, blowing out somebody else's candles, not going to make yours shine any brighter. Yeah, but yeah. That's what people want to do, right? They want to, the minute they see you're happy, it doesn't matter what it is. They've got to put you down for it. They got to rain on your parade. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you have or happy. But the minute you are, people start to hate it because they're not happy and they're not willing to do what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's just something that the more and more we can put that out and the more and more people can realize that that is important and that you're doing it from a good place, um, the better that our world is going to be. So we, we really appreciate the fact that you gave us a little bit of time today um, to talk about consistency, to talk about um, what it takes to, to be great and to do really special things and to dive into some of your personal life, some struggles, some ups and some downs, and uh, just to give our, our listeners some insight into what you're doing and how you're helping people. So we want to um, thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish you the best day ever. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It's kind of funny with these things. You know, I'm always humbled and honored when people ask me to do podcasts because it's something that like, oh, you get, they, they want to talk to me, you know, from a kid <laughs> coming from a super small town that like wasn't really supposed to announce too much. It's pretty cool that I get to do this for kind of work. So it's, 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 I really appreciate it. You guys. Well, thanks very much, Bob. It's been a, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to learn from you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to the Live Better Show. Awesome, cool, really fun guest. We are extremely excited to extend you guys a discount on our retreat for listening to this episode. If you can make it to our next Live Better experience, email ham at livebetterco.org. H-A-M at livebetterco.org. Yet we go ham. You want a discount off the next trip, hit us up. Have the best day ever.